All right, welcome to the first ever episode of Bricks and Brownstones, your source for all things Boston real estate related. I'm your host, Alexander Salmon, an agent with Douglas Sullivan. You can find out more about me at alexandersalmonrealty.com. Uh, find out more about me and the show. So we have our first ever guest. This is Chris Devon. Uh, he's at Cross Country Mortgage. He's the guy that I use for all of my clients' mortgages. He's super helpful, answers everybody's questions in a way that makes it so easy to understand. Really happy to have you here today, Chris. Thanks for the nice introduction, Alex. Greatly appreciate it. Glad to be here. Awesome. All right. So uh, I really just sort of wanted to take people through the process of getting a mortgage because I think if uh, you know, if you're a first-time home buyer, you haven't done it before. It can seem really intimidating, and you especially have a really good way of breaking it down and making it seem really simple and easy to understand. So, do our best. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just want to talk more about it with you. Yeah. So the pre-approval process, I think, for a lot of people can be overwhelming, right? Uh, yeah. They don't know where to start, um, and really, I encourage people to reach out to a lender that's referred by their agent, you know, know or has worked with friends in the past. And, um, and the, the biggest thing is just making that initial call. You know, um, one of the big concerns that I think a lot of people have is, is uh, I'm nervous or I'm going to get exposed with my financials or they're, they're, they're worried about their credit or income or assets. Really, I'd encourage people to, to jump in. If you're interested in buying a home, you want to give it a try. Going through a pre-approval process is going to be a lot less painful than you probably thought up front. Yeah. So I tell people that all the time, especially living in Boston where it's so expensive to rent. You need, you know, first uh, first months and last month's rent up front, security deposit, which is usually equal to one month's rent, and then a broker fee. Uh, there's typically no way around that. I'm like, you know, why don't you just go see what you're pre-approved for? It's free. Correct. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, in, in the crazy market that we're in here in the greater Boston area, renting is not cheap, right? Uh, so a lot of times people do have a little bit of money saved and what they don't realize is, is there are low down payment programs out there, which we can get into a little bit in a, in a few. Um, and they just don't know what their options are. Why not know what your options are when you're looking for housing? And if renting is the right answer, then fantastic. But at least you know if you want to buy down the road where you stand if you get pre-approved, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. So a question I get a lot from people is, like, how, do, you know, how do they know if they're ready to buy? You know, is there a certain income level that they should be at? Uh, you know, at what point in their, you know, they say, at what point in my life do I, do I buy a house? Sure, and that's really a, a tough question to answer to the line of, okay, you need to make X amount of money right. to buy a home. A pre-approval is based off of what I typically call the three-legged stool. Okay, so you have income, assets, and credit. Okay, those are the three major factors that kind of come together. And if, if one of the legs is missing, so to say, then the stool doesn't stand, right? So um, you know, we go through that process in, in regards to what the actual application is. It's giving your, your personal information. It's really no other, no different than any other application that, that you fill out. You're gonna have to give your social security number and date of birth and um, where you work and your address and income and what's in the back. Um, and ultimately then the loan officer will pull you credit um, and then analyze what your numbers look like. Uh, 
a big mistake I think that people make when they go down this path is it is okay to go through what's called a pre-qualification, um, which is a little bit different than a pre-approval and doesn't include all of the documents, the supporting documents to solidify it. Okay. But if you can, if you really want to see what you qualify for, I'd highly advise getting all of your documentation prepared and ready. Um, just to rattle it off quickly, uh, we can put a link up on the site later, but you know, two years t uh, federal tax returns, two years W-2s, two years, um, two months bank statements, anything tied to the transaction, or if you have retirement or investment accounts, and your last two pay stubs. That, that, that will give your bank or a mortgage lender a solid basis to work with and uh, allow you to put together that three-legged stool, so to say, to see what you qualify for. And between filling out the application, which won't take you more than, I don't know, probably 10 minutes, and yeah. collecting some documentation, if, if, if you're uh, somebody that keeps good records up and keeps it on your computer, it probably also won't take more than five to 10 minutes. You can get a really good idea of what you're gonna qualify for. Okay, awesome. So let's say somebody's sort of not that far along yet that they would be um, you know, pre-approved for a place that they would really wanna live in they have a target neighborhood and you know maybe that one of those three legs of the stool is not quite where they should be what kind of advice would you give to a person to strengthen their credentials in those areas of their lives with that goal in mind sure and i i think at that point depending on what's lacking from the application we would advise them accordingly let's say it's it's credit score somebody has had uh, a tough run in the past with credit and there may be a reason why uh, and we'll break that down and, and whether it's something that myself or my team can advise them on to, to help them with a quick fix or sometimes we point them to a credit repair person. We use Key, key Credit Repair in Boston, Nick Sakalis, um, quick plug for Nick, does a fantastic job um, and we'll tie them in to Nick's team for a free credit consultation. and. Um, you know, at least the buyer or potential buyer will know exactly what they need to do and put a plan in place to get their credit score to where it needs to be. Um, sometimes it's assets. Sometimes uh, people just didn't realize what goes into buying a home for their scenario and they might be short some money and it just comes down to saving or, or cutting certain things out of their monthly expenses to save at a more rapid pace. So really it's kind of dependent on the personal um, person's personal scenario and what they're trying to accomplish. But that's what we're there for is, is to identify any, I guess you could call it weak links and just show the people how to bring that three-legged stool together to get fully pre-approved. Awesome. So a lot of the buyers that I work with are first-time home buyers, and I know that in some cases a first-time home buyer can secure a loan that requires a down payment of as little as three percent. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I think that's a big misconception in the market. Doing this almost twenty years, you'd be shocked at how many people walk in the door or call me up and think that they need twenty percent down. Right. It's just not the case, and there are programs out there. Three percent down is a very popular. Uh, first time home buyer down payment program. Uh, Freddie Mac, Home Possible, Freddie Mac Home Ready, uh, required 3% down. Now you do have to meet certain credit requirements. 
What uh, are those usually? Typically, it's going to differ, but just to kind of keep it basic, you want to have scores, you know, pref- preferably north of 680. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, debt to income ratios work and you have um, the down payment saved and, and, and two months two months of uh, record of that with that money in your account. Now, in regards to the FHA loan, the Federal Housing Authority loan, that's a government program. That's another very popular program, especially for people looking for single family properties. Uh, That has a lot more flexibility. What I mean by that is their their credit requirements are uh, a lot more flexible. Okay. Their their credit scores, you know, uh, can go as low as as 580 in some cases. Oh, wow. Um, And also debt to income ratios can go a little bit higher than conventional financing. Good rule of thumb is that conventional loans, which are are, are tied to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they kind of limit you to in and around a 45% debt to income ratio, whereas FHA will go as high as 50. So FHA loan is once again a great option. And if you happen to be a veteran, I mean, there's nothing really better than veteran financing. You can do 100% financing um, and veteran loans offer you the best rates out there. And they should receive that because they've, they've served our country right. and deserve every bit of it. So um, that's a great option as well. And there are there's, there's some mass housing options that have come out recently. There's, there's some down payment assistance programs where 100% financing is available. Uh, it's a little bit more complex and not something necessarily that we'd want to go over, you know, right now because it takes a little bit more time. Yeah. But but those options are out there. Bottom line is you don't need to put down twenty percent. There are there are definitely low down payment options out there, especially for the first time home buyer. Right. Awesome. Yeah. No, I think you're right. That is a huge misconception. And it, again, especially if you're renting in Boston, three percent can be just as much or even possibly less in some cases than the amount that you're going to have to put down to rent a place. And then you know, you're you building equity for somebody else, not yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Sure. So now say you're a buyer, you finally found the perfect place and you want to make an offer. How does that work initially just from the financial side? From the financial side, you want to make sure that you're not trying to put the cart before the horse and you have been pre-approved. Right. Okay. A lot of people with these devices in our hands, now they start to search online uh, and, you know, almost pre-approve themselves or what they think they would qualify for. So they, 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 um, you know, put themselves in a tough position if it doesn't work out financially, but you want to make sure you're pre-approved, you're connecting with a professional agent like yourself, somebody that knows the marketplace that you're looking to place an offer in. Um, and then, you know, sit down as a buyer with your agent and your uh, mortgage advisor and figure out the best way to structure the deal. Uh, you know, a lot of times the list agent like yourself, well, uh, excuse me, the buyer's agent like yourself will, will reach out to the sell side to figure out what the, what the seller's trying to do. Do they need a quick close? Do they need to get it out right away? And, and you can be flexible to timing. Right. Um, are they looking for the highest amount? People think that, you, you know, the highest offer always wins. That's not the case. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so that stuff comes into place. So listen to what the seller is looking to do and, and work with the agent to, to, to structure it. 
and connect with your mortgage professional and make sure your, your pre-approval is rock solid and your agent will ultimately submit the offer once you've had those conversations to make sure you're putting your best foot forward uh, to, to get the deal. From the lending side, we always back up our buyers and um, agent referral partners and we'll call the list agent on the buyer's behalf just to solidify the strength of the file. Uh, like I was saying before, we don't, we very rarely do pre-qualifications. We really try to drive our buyers to being fully pre-approved, providing all that documentation. So we can say to the seller, you know what, Mr. Seller, all we need is an executed contract and an appraisal. We can get this deal done in the timeline that you're looking to do. So uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, a listing agent say to me when we're having these conversations, well, Chris, really appreciate the call. And you know what? I just looked at this last offer. These guys are pre, uh, pre-qualed with such and such a bank. I couldn't get a call back. I don't know um, if they have all their documentation in. Your buyer has their ducks in a row. They're on the top of the pile. That really makes a difference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, for sure. Because, um, yeah, no, I, I mean... I'll have agents come to me and the listing agents and they'll say, you know, it's not about the highest offer. It's about the terms. If you have a client who has more money up front or just a stronger case to make that seller believe that they're going to be the most solid option to get that financing, that often speaks louder than what the, what the cash offer or not cash, but the list offer is because Anybody can make any kind of offer. I could tell you right now, oh, you know, I'll buy your house for a million dollars just because I say it. And just because I sign a contract and put it in writing doesn't necessarily make it true. Very true. Very true. Sure. So, you know, when a buyer gets to that point that they want to make an offer, um, first of all, something that also comes up a lot is a lot of times buyers think that if they go directly to the to the seller's agent and don't use a buyer's agent that they're going to get some kind of a deal. And you know, I, I know that they won't, I'm not, I could not advocate for this more, but would you mind telling me, you know, why that would not be the case? Yeah. I mean, I, I highly advise my buyers to connect with a buyer's agent. And at the end of the day, it's the, it's the selling agents fiduciary responsibility to, to present all offers to their seller. And I mean, just a plain and simple fact, don't you want somebody in your corner fighting for you? Exactly. That has your best interest in mind. And um, you know, doing this almost 20 years, I can't take a look at a situation and say, oh geez, my buyer didn't get it because they, um, they didn't go directly to the seller's agent. I mean, the, the, the seller's agent, if it's in a competitive situation, the seller doesn't care what the uh, what the list agent's compensation is? They just want the best deal for them, right? right. So uh, you know that that it's one of those things that you really need somebody in your corner. Uh, you see these for sale by owners or people just walking into open houses and making offers without an agent. I can't advise enough against that. And just you need a professional agent, full time agent in your corner who's going to get the deal done. For you and, and truly have your best interest at heart. Oh yeah, no, I mean that's I get that question all the time, and you know what I say to people is that 
Well, first of all, I think the myth is that you can get a better price if you just go in alone. That's not true at all because the the compensation for the seller's agent has already been agreed upon in the listing agreement before the house went to market. So that money's already spoken for. That's not going to change based on what the price of the property is. And if you're in negotiations with the seller, the the listing agent's priority is the seller it's not you as the buyer especially in this market i mean buyers come and go they want to make sure they're part of the deal regardless so they want to make sure that the seller's happy with them because the seller can fire them at any time they don't really need a reason right so their priority you're very low on the priority list again they found you they'll find another buyer and then, you know, as time goes on and you get into the purchase and sale agreement and the inspection, you know, if you don't, if you don't have one, they're going to send you to the person that the seller's employing and, you know, whose interests you think are going to be looked out for there 100%. above all else. Yeah. No, yeah. 100%. Totally agree. Sure. So, again, I guess back to the offer process. So, you know, you're a buyer, you find a place you want and you want to make the offer. So... What, when you get to the stage where you're simply making the offer, how much money do you have to put down at that point? It's going to be between the um, buyer and seller ultimately, but typically it's very common in today's market that you put down $1,000 uh, with offer. Uh, sometimes it's more, sometimes it might be a little bit less. I just said one recently that was 500 um, And typically at purchase and sale, which is 10 usually within 10 days of the accepted offer, um, you'll put the remainder um, of the down payment if it's you know less than 5% or up to 5% down at purchase and sale. So if you're putting down, let's say 20%, you'll be in most cases just putting the remainder of the 5% down at the execution of the purchase and sale. If you're putting down, let's say 3%, you're a first time home buyer, you'd put the $1,000 down with the accepted offer and then the remaining of the 3% down at the execution of the purchase and sale, if that makes sense. Right, absolutely. So you put down $1,000 to bind the offer and take it off the market, and then within those 10 days, you'll schedule the inspection, and then assuming that all goes well there, you'll sign the purchase and the sale, and you'll put down up to 5% of the purchase price at that point. Correct. Awesome. Okay, so then... You have the purchase and sale, the buyer and the seller both signed it. What happens from there? I mean, you'll have the closing um, probably within a, you know, a month to six weeks from there, but you know, what's the process after the PNS is signed? Correct. That, at, at that point, um, our lending team is really kind of hitting the ground running. Now, uh, the buyer has made it through home inspection. If they've had one, the contract is executed. This deal is going to happen at that point. So um, from the lending side, we order the appraisal and um, order title with the closing attorney. Um, we are also making sure that all of the documents are reviewed again, uh, just to make sure that everything is in line and we're submitting it to underwrite. The underwriting process typically uh, you know, differs from company to company, but for us it's 24 hours. The loan is approved. We then reach back out to the buyer with any outstanding conditions. It might be uh, an updated pay stub or bank statement or something uh, along those lines. It's really tough to say. It could be one of you know many different things. Um, 
and the appraisal comes in, we verify the value is there to lend against it, and we submit for the clear to close. So uh, it, it, typically the process from A to Z takes 30 days. It's common in the Boston market to really kind of fall between 30 and 60 days, like you said. Uh, but if you, if, if you follow our, our lead of what we're talking about of getting a really strong pre-approval, getting all your ducks in a row up front, it's gonna make the process so much easier on the back end and in the meat of the process when things are really happening and um, the appraisal's being done and, and um, you're under contract, that's the easy side when working with us. Yeah, usually deal, like when you see a place win under agreement and then it's back on the market, I think buyers can get a little scared off by that because they're like, oh, what happened? And they think it's something with the property. And you know, on occasion, it could be, although usually that would come up during the inspection. Usually when it's under agreement and it comes back on the market, it's because this, uh, the buyer couldn't come up with the financing. Correct. Um, and that's kind of shame on the buyer and the lender at that point for not doing their due diligence. That very rarely happens, um, you know, with the deals that we're involved in because we're vetting any potential issues. Um, but yes, that, that, that does happen for some of our, our buyers. They benefit from, from people not doing their homework up front. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, that is why you should use Chris at Cross Country Mortgage because <laughs> you'll, it'll eliminate the heartache of going, you know, getting under contract and then having to, having to start all over again. Uh, so, I appreciate that. Alex. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from the, uh, from the offer to the closing, you know, when you're paying the closing costs, you have, uh, you know, obviously the attorney fee to draw up the P and S agreement. Um, you know, you have your mortgage lender, you have a bunch of other various closing costs. What are those typically and how much do they usually run a, a buyer? Like how much, you know, how much, if you're a buyer, how much are you looking to uh, spend on closing costs? Like what should you expect? Typically a good rule of thumb in the greater Boston area, I usually say to people, think of 1% of the purchase price. Okay. And that includes closing costs, meaning fees that are tied to the loan and to the purchase, uh, whether that be the lender fee, the appraisal, the credit report, um, the attorney's fee to close the loan, the recording fees, the title insurance, title exam, etc. There's a bunch of different fees that go into closing costs. On top of that, you're also going to have prepaids and escrows. So prepaids and escrows, let's say you're closing, I'm just making up a date, but you're closing May 25th in 2018. You're going to be paying daily interest from May 25th when you own the home through that through the end of that month, which would be May 31st. So you're gonna be paying six days of interest at the closing, along with whatever tax and insurance escrow is required. So typically, when you add up all those numbers, it equals in and around 1% of the purchase price. Right. That's a good rule of thumb to use. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So then I'd like at that point, or you know, at hearing that number, a lot of buyers, especially first time home buyers, They'll kind of like, I don't want to say the freak out a little bit, but it can take them aback. Sometimes they're like, oh, wow, well, that's, you know, I'm already spending this much money on a house, you know, or in a condo or whatever. And that's a lot of money. Uh, you know, uh, it, it can kind of be a little bit jarring for people. Uh, and something that you know, I try to negotiate as much as I can is to ask for a seller credit. 
Yeah. yeah. Very popular. We've done some deals together where we've actually done that. Yes. Um, and that can make a difference in the greater Boston market. I mean, it, it can be complicated at times if it's a competitive bid situation. But a lot of times for the first time home buyer who every dollar counts, right? right? Um, you can structure it so you get a seller credit. So what does that mean to a buyer? Well, let's just run through a quick scenario and say um, there's a condo on the market and the uh, list price is 405, okay? And you go back and forth, your client makes an offer, you go back and forth and you, you know, start at 390 and you end up at 400,000, right. okay? Rather than taking just 400,000, what if you give them the original list price of 405,000 and get a seller credit for 5,000? That nets uh, the seller the same amount of cash on the sale and what that does for you, the buyer, is it, it basically builds closing costs into the deal. So in, rather than doing 400000 um, plus the uh, closing costs, so the down payment plus the closing costs, you're basically just doing the down payment. And that $5,000 seller credit is going to pay for your closing costs, you know, prepaids, most of your escrows, which is you know, real out-of-pocket costs that now you're keeping in your pocket for home improvement, to buy furniture, et cetera. So great way to structure it. Sometimes people don't realize it, especially, Alex, when home inspection issues come up. A lot of times people try to do a price reduction with that number um, and take it off the purchase price. I highly suggest taking it as a seller credit. That money is comes off of the total that you need to bring to closing. That's real money versus, you know, reducing the purchase price, which just impacts your down payment by a very minimal amount. So great way to look at it. Exactly, yes. The seller's inclined to do it because they're gonna get the same amount of money in this sale anyway. And then as a buyer, it's great because you don't have to pay it up front. Yeah, you can just hang on to more of your money and then in your example, let's say it's $5,000 built over the life of a 30-year mortgage. $5,000 is pretty negligible. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes sense for sure. Right. Awesome. Well, um, I had one more question for you. Uh, so why, oh, the most important one. So why is buying a home such a smart investment? I, there's, I, since the housing crisis, there's a lot of people who, I mean, not a lot of people, but some prominent um, voices out there. I'm thinking of like James Altucher, who's one of them. He was a hedge fund guy, and he is a pretty big following. And he always talks about how buying a home is the worst investment you could make. Uh, why is that? I know it's not true. Why is that not true? You know, there, there, there are people that play both sides from a pretty hard angle and everybody's entitled to their opinion, right? The, the reality of the fact is that if you look at investing over the past 50 years, real estate is the best place to be, period, right? Um, you know, tax benefit has been cut back a little bit with um, new tax law and code that have come through. But still, even with that being said, it's a, it, I, I truly believe, especially in the greater Boston area, it's a great investment. Let's take a look at it from just a, a lifestyle side. I mean, if you're renting, you can't kind of control your own home. You, if, if, if you want to make changes or um, have a pet, sometimes that's limited by 
the person that actually owns the property. You can call your own shots and it's something to be said from home ownership just, just from that side, right? right? Of, of being able to say, you know what? I want to paint that wall green or I want to knock down that wall or I want to raise my family in a spot where um, we don't have to move if we don't want to. What if the seller, you know, you're renting their property and the owner decides to sell? Right. You're out on the street, especially if, if you have a family, that, that, that could be a tough way to live. So no matter how it looks financially, and like I said, if you look at real estate over the past 50 years, it, it, it's proven to be a really solid investment. For me personally, I think it's a lifestyle piece and just knowing that I control where I lay my head at night. Right. You know? Exactly. So. Awesome. Hopefully that helps. Definitely. Well, thank you, Chris, for your time. Uh, so everybody, Chris Devin is at Cross Country Mortgage. He's the best mortgage guy at Boston. I would reach out to him yesterday, not today, to find out how much you're pre-approved for. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, this is the Bricks and Brownstones podcast. I'm Alexander Salmon, the host. I'm a real estate agent. I work for Douglas Elliman, and you can find me at alexandersalmonrealty.com.